This is real life stuff, and uh, every year, thank you, Mike, every year um, at the same time of year, they ask us to ask you to support um, their work. It costs them about $1,200 when they kind of look at what their budget costs versus how many children that they're able to, to well, the reality is to save. And it's about $1,200. There are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children walking around our towns because of this ministry. And so this is our annual opportunity as a congregation to partner with them. So when you leave this morning, here's what I would love for you to do. I would love for you to pick up one of these bottles. Now, we used to carry change. We don't really carry change anymore. In fact, I know there's actually a shortage of change because nobody's using it. Um, this is your opportunity to do one of two things. Either get rid of all that change you're currently hoarding and help out the U.S., or you could go right to their website and you could support them financially that way. This is a great reminder tool, though, for you to kind of pop up on your dresser or maybe on your kitchen counter for the next month and say, you know what, I'm going to kind of put my money where my mouth is on this issue. As Christians, we need to be better at this, right? Um, our faith teaches us that life is holy and ordained from the moment of conception on. But we have to do more than just believe it. We have to support it. And this is one of the ways you can help. So I encourage you to pick one of these bottles up on your way out. Fill it up with your change. You could put a check in it. But bring it back by February 20th. I have to look in here to see it. February 20th. We'll be collecting them from now until then. I want to encourage you to partner with us with that. Ryan, you can use that more than I can in the future. Now, let's get back to what I've really been enjoying, this talk on leaving a legacy, because I have a grandchild coming. Some of you know, and I don't, you know me, I don't really like to talk about it, but uh, you know, you might be aware that I, you know, I ran a little track back in the day, and I know at this point, some of these stories and sermon illustrations, they've taken on a bit of an urban legend quality to them. With all the fake news out there, I thought I might present to all of you some indisputable proof of these tales of yore. Check out this picture right there. There is your beloved pastor. I want you to understand I got the baton in third place just before anybody makes any judgments on this. Sporting my Mount Olive High School attire back there in 1984 or 1985. That guy in the front was a constant nemesis of mine. He was very intimidating, loaded with muscles. And uh, him and I used to always have to run in these relays together. And, you know, I mean, look at me. Uh, and look at him. And so you'd understand, I mean, and not only like this guy, he had that whole 80s tracksuit thing going um, back in the day. And, and on the back of his tracksuit, he had a title for himself. It, it had his name on it. It said, Dr. Kaboo. I'm going, I don't even have a high school diploma. This guy's got a doctorate in like track and field, you know? And so that, that was my life. Now, why do I show you this picture? Well, just to prove that it's all true. But because this week, as, as I was thinking about this concept of legacy, and, and specifically what we've been talking about the last week or two, legacy of faith, it, it came to mind. Now, just let me back up and remind you where, where we've been. L week one, if you were here, we looked at 
the reality of legacy, that each of us, everybody wants to leave a legacy, and everybody is leaving a legacy. The only question is, what's the legacy you're leaving behind? And last uh, week one, we looked at three real-life legacies and how they ripple powerfully for generations. Last week, I talked to you that what I want to leave, what I think the, the greatest legacy any of us could leave, is a legacy of faith. Now, last week, we looked at how you do that. And I've been talking about that one. Scientifically, biblically, I've been talking about that. We talked about it as elders in our elder meeting this week. So week one was kind of the why of legacy. Week two was the how of legacy. Week three is kind of the the what of legacy. It's the what you're leaving talk. And if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you know that handing down a legacy, especially a legacy of is often referred analogously did I get that right? And we'll edit it out of the video. Um, as handing off a baton. It's a track analogy, right? The baton, in this case, of faith. Now, interestingly enough, if you want to go with that analogy, it works well. Because in track, specifically in the relay events, there's a, there's, it's pretty definitive when it comes to what it is you hand off in the race, right? That kid in first place, I would love to have handed him I don't know, like a, a dumbbell bar as his baton, right? But I couldn't. There are specifics in terms of what it is that you hand off. The baton is regulated. You can't pick up a stick and hand that off. What you hand off matters. Actually, according to specifications, the relay baton is, is to be smooth, hollow, a one-piece tube. It can be made of wood, metal, or another rigid material. It's got a measure between 20 and 30 centimeters long, between 12 and 13 centimeters in circumference, and it must weigh at least, you're welcome, I guess, to have it weigh as much as you want, but it's got to weigh at least 50 grams. Now, here's the thing, if you want to keep the analogy going, right? It doesn't matter how well the runners run, it doesn't matter how fast the time that's posted is, or even if they won the race, if the baton that they hand off is not right, the runners are all disqualified, the time is erased, it's as if they had never run the race or won at all. The records are gone, the legacy is muted, because the baton, what you actually hand off, stick with me, what you, I, I know not what, it doesn't matter what you want to hand off. What you actually hand off matters. It's the same way with what we call the baton of faith. Leaving behind, transferring to the next generation, an inheritance of faith. I mean, it sounds good, right? Last week we looked at how you effectively do that. But what is it? Like, I want to leave a legacy of faith. It sounds so spiritual. But what does it mean to leave a legacy of faith? I mean, I'm like, you. I don't want to spend the next 20 years of my life, what for me, I mean, just practically might be the last 20 years of my life, training really hard, running really well, have everybody going, oh, isn't that wonderful, isn't it, what a great family, oh, it's, you know, look at the baby, so cute, and I handed off the wrong thing, and it all didn't matter. What is actually the baton of faith that I'm supposed to transfer to the next generation? What does it actually mean? Have you ever thought about this? To leave a legacy of faith. And specifically, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, if you agree that, that a legacy of faith is the most important thing, specifically, what are you trying to leave? Now, I started thinking about this, right? I want to leave a legacy of faith. Well, what does that mean? So 
I think at first glance, right, without really putting any thought into it, a lot of us would go, well, when we say we want to leave a legacy of faith, what we actually mean is we want to leave with our kids a firm foundational set of religious beliefs. Now, of course, go back to last week. We don't set foundations. We set ceilings. Super important to check out last week. But I, I want to leave my kids with a set of religious beliefs. Now, for many of us who call ourselves Christians, we would say that we want the legacy to leave to be that we believe in Jesus. And so we want our kids to believe in Jesus. And then we want our grandkids to believe in Jesus because we believe in Jesus. So that's where I want to leave a legacy of faith. What does that mean? It means I want my kids to believe in Jesus. A legacy of faith is, is that they would accede to the same historic ideas and belief systems that I do. Here's the thing, and I said it last week. I want to leave a legacy of faith for two reasons. Now, one of those reasons is because I want to spend eternity with my kids. I can't get enough of my children. I want to spend all the time I can with them. If I could go out and hang out with anybody, it's my wife and my kids. It's almost very sad. I don't do much else. And I'm not just saying this. Anybody that knows me knows it's true. I, and that doesn't make me a good guy. It kind of makes me a homebody at one level. It's just that's who I like hanging out with. I want to spend forever with them. And so since I believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And how do we come to the Father? Through Jesus? How, what's it mean? How do, we, how do we kind of get through Jesus to the Father? Well, most of us would default then to the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So logically, since we believe he's, Jesus is who he said he is, and I want my kids and those that we're, we love and want to leave behind a legacy with, we want them forever to be with us into eternity, right? I guess what I want to believe is that they believe. But here's the thing. It's actually two things about that word, believe. When you see believe in, in the New Testament, it's often a translation of the Greek word, pistivo. And while it's often translated as believe, it carries with it a concept that's much deeper. Actually, the better translation of the word would be trust. In, in the Greek, in which the New Testament's written, there isn't a word for trust. So the writers would often connect pistio, believe, with the preposition in. So it wasn't so much that you believe that, which is often what we think, I want my children to believe that. In the scripture, it was more of a trust in. In fact, it's actually that, that concept is just an English thing that's happened to the word believe. Hundreds of years ago, in the English language, when you said believe, it meant trust in. The Etymology Dictionary, which talks about how words have changed. Quote, believe used to mean trust, but it had by the 16th century become lim limited to, and this, these are their words, mental acceptance of something to be true. Some of you know kind of biblical history. When John Wyclough in the early 1400s decided to, to use believe in the first English Bible translation, it meant trust when he wrote believe. But by 1611, when the King James was written, believe didn't mean that anymore. But they kept using that word. So when we read believe in the Bible, it doesn't mean believe that. It actually means trust in. And the difference is super important. 
I mean, the first, the first reason it's super important is that, I mean, it's an eternal issue we're talking about. If I want to live with my kids forever and ever and ever, and I believe that Jesus is who he said he is, my legacy of faith to them has to not be believe that, which I think many of us worry about. I think my legacy, I know my legacy of faith needs to be trust in. Second, and I said it last week, a legacy of faith impacts powerfully this life for my kids and those who would come after me. Money loses value. My grandkids are a bad investment away from losing everything that I wanted to give them, right? Houses rot, jewelry tarnishes, but a legacy of trust in is different, right? That means long after I'm gone, they're never alone. On their most difficult days, there's hope. In the midst of storms, there's peace. The identity, their identity gets rooted in who God says they are, not who their friends or social media or the culture. This is very powerful. Believe that does nothing to help them. Trust in is very different. Now, here's the second thing about leaving a legacy of faith. Faith, as the writers of the New Testament understood it, and as Jesus described it, faith has an object. Let me explain what I mean. Last week, um, my daughter, well, she runs track. She's just a tip off the old block. <laughs> and so um, she runs track in college uh, in Indiana. And last week, she had a track meet in Michigan. And because I love driving eight to 10 hours each way to watch her run for a minute, um, Joan and I got in the car and drove to Michigan to watch Caroline run. Now, when I got in the car to drive to Michigan, I thought to myself, huh, I should probably get the oil changed in this car because um, I haven't gotten a change much. And I couldn't get an appointment to get the oil changed. But it's a relatively new car. It's a few years old. I felt pretty confident getting in the car to drive to Michigan, even though the oil wasn't changed. I went through this in my mind. Well, tires are good. I should get there and get back because I've got people showing up on Sunday morning that I need to talk to, right? So I got in the car to drive to Indiana, right? I didn't get in the car because I hoped I would get to Indiana. I didn't get in the car because I was optimistic that when this is all over, I'll be in Indiana, that it'll all just turn out okay. I'm optimistic that this will be okay. No, I got in there because I believed, right? I, I, I got in there because I believed in, for example, let me, let me back it up a second. I didn't get in there because I convinced myself that everything would be fine. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll probably be fine. Be fine. I got in there because I evaluated the claims of the car I was driving, and I trusted it. Now, my son John has a 2006 Honda Civic. It's a manual. Who drives a 2006 Honda Civic manual? And I thought to myself, I could take John's car to Indiana, but I don't trust John's car to drive to Indiana. I would not get in that car, right? No matter how much I tried to convince myself, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Everything will be all right. I know it's not right because I have no faith in that car. See, my faith is not in an outcome. This is important that you get this. Christianity is faith, actually all faith is, in an object. I had faith in my uh, Kia Optima, right? I didn't have faith in the 2006 Honda Civic. 
My faith had an object. Leaving a legacy of faith means that you're leaving a legacy of Jesus being that object of faith and not outcomes. Super important. Because oftentimes, and we're guilty of this, oftentimes we hand down a faith that gets focused on outcomes, right? And not the object. We can hand down things like, maybe you got handed this. Well, if you're good enough, then God will bless you circumstantially and you'll be able to look around and say, I must be doing something right because look at my life. And if my life isn't going well, then I must be doing something wrong. My faith is based on my outcomes, my circumstances, right? Now, that creates a lot of baggage. You know, maybe, maybe this is the legacy you were left, and it can confuse the generations that come. For example, what happens when bad things happen to good people? Why do we have to write books and books and books and books about this? Because the legacy got handed down. If you follow God, bad things won't happen to you. But God never made that promise. Right? So we handed down a legacy of something that wasn't true. I thought bad things wouldn't happen, but my kid got sick. And so this isn't working for me. So what happens to future generations? They walk away from it. My faith was based in an outcome, a belief about an outcome. Or it becomes this guilt-ridden thing, right? Or it becomes formulaic. If I give enough money, and I go, some of you come from, from church backgrounds like this, right? I have obligations for going to church so many times this year, and if I go enough times this year, then the outcome for my life is guaranteed. But if I don't, right, and I don't do enough of this or say enough of that, then I'm in trouble. See, this is what leads people to making belief itself the object of our faith. I had a friend once whose mother got sick with cancer. Um, uh, his, his father was a pastor and his mother was the pastor's wife and they were heavily invested in the church that they were in and when they got sick everyone in the church they did what we do prayed and prayed and prayed we're commanded to pray for the sick and th- this was the right and godly thing to do and his mother fought and fought and fought but despite the doctor's best efforts and the church's incessant prayers his mom died and he, he, you know he actually had somebody come up to him from church and say well I guess we didn't have enough faith. We must not have believed enough. And so the belief itself becomes the object of faith. Do you see that? What's your faith? Well, I have faith in my belief, right? Faith becomes like a power or a force, right? Where if I get my ducks in order, it's like a formula. If I do enough things, right, then I put enough in the offering plate, I show up enough times, then God is going to do what I want him to do. That becomes a faith that we can hand down. But this is not what a legacy of faith looks like. This is not, listen to me, you do not want to hand that down for a bunch of reasons. I mean, number one is it doesn't lead to eternal life. In fact, just think about it. It just actually leads to more self-reliance. I have to figure it out. I have to make it happen. I have to be better, pray harder, give more. Because if I do, then I can actually get back to what I've always wanted, which is to be able to control God. I figured it out. He's in my control now. Number two, it doesn't lead to peace and hope in this world. Because the truth is you can't control circumstances, right? 
And we talk about this all the time. One of Jesus' promises is that in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's a promise. And so making our circumstances, placing our beliefs, the objects of our beliefs being how things are going, that likely leads at one point or another to kids or grandkids walking away from God because we told them things that God never promised. All right, so what does that mean? What? I don't even know what I'm leaving down then. What does it mean to leave a legacy of faith? If faith is not believe that, which was what I was going to try to do, is going to get them to believe that, but it's trust in. And trust in means that our faith has an object, and the object is not the outcomes. The object of our faith is not laws. We don't hand down the Ten Commandments, right? That, that's not a legacy of faith. We're not handing down rules or requirements, moral codes, a legacy of faith is not telling our kids to be good people or doing more good things than bad things. Faith isn't a power or a force, a belief, where if you have enough, you can make God do what you want him to do. So then, what is the baton? What am I actually trying to hand down? What do I want to do and give that, that changes, think about it, eternal destinies, present realities, and leaves generational legacies. What is it? Well, funny you ask, because there's actually this letter that's in the New Testament that deals directly with this exact situation and question to an audience that was wondering the exact same thing. Now, unlike most books in the New Testament, the author's name is unknown here. At least it's heavily debated. It's, it's called the book of Hebrews. And the reason it, it, it is is because that was the audience. We don't know who wrote it, but we know the audience to whom it was written to. They were, well, they were Hebrews. Jewish people would come to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And they uh, had run this audience into a problem. They, think about it now, they had likely been ostracized by family, they'd lost their place in society, they, they had given away all that they owned to follow Jesus, there was significant social and economic and relational costs in their lives, and this group that was willing to bear all these costs, they believed that not only was Jesus who he said he was, but that he was coming back like any moment, but he hadn't, and he wasn't. And now they were beginning to face all kinds of persecution. They were being imprisoned. And as a result of their circumstances, they were beginning to go, forget it. It doesn't work. See, my faith isn't working for me. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. There wasn't going to be any faith legacy for this generation because their faith was just about over. And so into this community of people that are just on the edge of walking away, the writer, he recognizes their situation. He goes, look, he goes, remember, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Some, he, he reminds them of their history. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It's going to be richly rewarded. 
You need to persevere so that when, when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. But we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith, there's the word, and are saved. And so the writer sets out. You should check this out. You can read the book this afternoon, an hour. It's short. It's not too long. He pleads with them, despite your circumstance. He goes, don't look at your circumstances and lose your faith. In fact, the first thing he tries to do is get them to understand that their circumstances are not the object of their faith. He says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest, he appeals to what they know, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. He he goes, guys, when you did all these things, you weren't looking at your circumstances, you were looking at a reality that Jesus Christ, the object of our faith, has ascended into heaven. See, see, for us guys and for our children, what we need to help them understand is the object of our faith is not a system or set of beliefs or defined outcomes. The object of our faith, right, it hasn't changed. It is the risen Jesus who lived, was crucified, died, and was resurrected. In fact, for the Hebrews, it was only 30 or 40 years ago. They saw it. They knew it. They knew people that had seen him. Jesus' historical person, his resurrection, a historical event, is the foundation and object of their faith and our faith, not our circumstances. Don't hand your kids circumstantial faith. They'll walk away from it. Now, to this Jewish audience, then, what he decides to do, and this is how you hand down a legacy of faith, okay? What he decides to do is he appeals to their sense of history, and in doing so, he gives us a definition of what faith is and isn't. Here's what he says to them, almost as if he's trying to get them to remember their family story. I think he is. He says to them, now faith, here comes the biblical definition of faith. Here's what the baton is, okay? Here's what you're trying to hand off. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. That's the definition. That's the baton. In fact, he sets faith apart from two things people often confuse it with, hope and what they see. He says, faith is not hope, and faith is not what you see. It's not your circumstances. If I want to leave a legacy of hope, or excuse me, a legacy of faith, I want to be a hopeful person. I want my kids to have hope, but hope and faith are different. If I got in John's Honda Civic, that would have been hope. I would have hoped I made it to Indiana. I would have hoped... But faith is confidence that I'm going to make it to Indiana. It's very different. Remember when I got up here last week and I said, we all had to get home soon because America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, had a playoff game that day. Remember that last week? You know what that was? Hope. That was not faith. Do you know why? Why did I have hope the Cowboys win and not faith? If you get this, you'll get the whole thing. You want to know why I had hoped the Cowboys would win and not faith? Because I have watched the Dallas Cowboys play football for the last 30 years. I had hope, but I didn't have a lot of faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And he says, it's assurance. I'm sure of something that I don't even see. I'm sure of something that I'm not experiencing in my circumstances. I'm sure of something even though my current set of circumstances does not seem to be proving me right. 
I mean, that's what we need. Hope is good. We need it, but faith is different. Faith is like hope on steroids. I saw one definition put this way. Hope, it's good. Hope is good. It's an emotional sense of joyful expectation. Faith is a rational sense of certain expectation. When I asked um, Joan out about a year after that picture I showed you was taken of me, right? I had hope that she would say yes. But come on now. You saw that picture. I didn't have a lot of faith that she would say yes. And if you know our story, she didn't. She said no. But I had hoped. I didn't have faith. Now, some brands of Christianity would say to me, well, John, that's the problem. You didn't have enough faith. You just needed to have more faith. If you had more faith, then God would have moved her heart to love you. God would have, you just prayed, 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 and hoped, and, and, and just had faith, faith, faith. You didn't have enough faith, John. That's why Joan Berg said no to you. No, Joan Berg said no to me because I looked like a doofus and my hair was parted in the middle. That's why. Right? But, but somebody might have said, well, John, if faith could move mountains, it should have been able to move the heart of Joan Berg. Now, see, here's what the, the writer is about to get at and, and remind the readers. What changes hope, what moves hope to faith? How do I go from hoping to being certain about something? Right? Is it just like I, I just, it's like, oh, I just kind of gut it out? Mm. You know, this civic is going to make it, it's 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 going to make it, and I will it into so, right? Is it like, well, you know, she said no, but I'm just going to keep praying and the Lord's going to change her heart. That's not it. I didn't sit home and hope, hope, hope. I didn't hope, 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 and pray, 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 and, 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 and then go, I'm going to go to the movies now because I've hoped, and, I've hoped and believed enough, and when I get to the movies, she's going to be there because I hoped and believed it. No. One night, Joan, I went to the movies, and Joan met me, with, met me there. And do you know why I had, I had real confidence that she was going to be there? Because she told me she changed her mind that she was going to go. My hope changed to faith because she told me. She made a promise. I'll see you at the movies, right? My faith had an object. My, my, the object was not not some outcome. The object was that she said yes, which is exactly what the next thing the, the writer of Hebrew says. He goes, this is what the ancients were commended for. This is faith. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and being certain of what you can't see. That's what the ancients were commended for. And then he gives this legacy of faith. If you want to know, I mean, it's, it's actually very simple to leave a legacy of faith. The writer goes, oh, he just gives example after example after example after example after example of the family history. Lots and lots of heroes from the Jewish faith, from their family. I'm just going to pop a couple up. There's too many to go over this morning. Here's one. By faith. Okay, by faith. What does faith mean, right? So faith is being certain of what I'm hoping for and sure about what I cannot see. By that. Noah, when he was warned about things, there it is, not yet seen, in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. The writer goes, guys, you know about, right, our great-great-grandfather Noah. He goes, you remember Noah? 
When the scriptures, the scriptures seem to indicate that prior to Noah, it hadn't rained. The climate was very different. The world, the world was kind of watered by this mist. And so, you know, that might be true or it might not be true. But imagine Noah setting out and taking his life savings and building an ark in his front yard. I mean, he's not building it in water. He's just building an ark. Imagine for years, years. Imagine what that cost them relationally and, you know, even familiarly. His wife's got to be going, what are you doing? You crazy? Right? Why did this happen? I mean, you think I'm crazy thinking about the Mets and the Cowboys. This guy's building an ark in his yard. Imagine the neighbors and what it's doing to their property value. Is this happening? Did, did Noah do this because he sat around and he said, you know, I can't stand my neighbors. God, I want you to wipe them out. How about a flood? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, 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 and believe, believe, believe that you're going to wipe them out. And if I do it long enough and hard enough and I get the formula right, voila, right? See, I proved to God I built the ark. I proved to him. And now he had to react to my hand. That's not what happened. Why did Noah build the ark? Because God told him to build an ark. It's not all that hard. God told him it was coming. He made him a promise and he told him what to do. Noah did what God told him to do despite the circumstances. That's faith. That's what Noah was commended for. That's why they're still talking about him. That's why he has a legacy. The writer goes on. By faith, Abraham, right? Here it is. Okay, faith, 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 right? Faith is God. Uh, I'm going uh, to be certain about what I, I'm hoped for and, and, and certain about things I can't see. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. By faith, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs. There's the legacy portion of this. Abraham left to Isaac and Jacob this legacy of faith with him of this same promise. What is Abraham commended for? God told him to go. God made him a promise. God said, I'm going to make your name great, and all the nations are going to be blessed through you. Did he see it when, it, when he, he decided to obey? Nope. Didn't see it. God didn't lay out a full plan for him, didn't tell him where to go, just told him go. And Abraham went. And what did God do? Well, we know now God made his name great. Everybody here this morning knows who Abraham is. God kept his promise. Lots of evidence here. Why did Isaac and Jacob go on themselves to live in tents? Because of that same promise of God that their father had acted on. What was his legacy? He lived by faith. What was faith? Being sure, trusting in God, what he had promised despite the circumstances. What was the object of Abraham's faith? Was it the circumstances he saw all around him? No, it was God. It goes on and on like this. The writer talks about Moses and his faith to go back to Egypt and confront Pharaoh and his power and his armies. Why did Moses do this? Because he had faith, not in himself, not in circumstances. He had faith. He was certain because God told him what to do, and he did it, even though it seemed crazy. It actually, the, actually, the list of these heroes that, did, heroes that did this, it starts with Abel. Many of you know the story of Cain and Abel, right? First two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain, well, Cain kind of hedges his bets on a sacrifice to God. He kind of brings to God, looks at his circumstances. What can I afford? What do I need to keep back for myself enough to rely on? Abel brings the first and the best of what he had. 
You know the story of fit of rage, right? God looks down on Abel's sacrifice with favor, and Cain's not so much, and so Cain kills Abel. Now, here's what they record. Here's what the writer records. By faith, here it is again, Abel bought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. But this next line I love. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. That is a godly legacy. See, that's what I want to leave. I, I, I want that to echo to my children and my grandchildren, even though I'm dead. And so the writer, he just sums it up this way. He goes, look, in order to have faith, in order to be certain for what it is you hope for and sure of what you can't see, you need two things. Here's what he said. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anybody who comes to him, and, and here are the two things, they got to believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You got to believe God exists. The followers of Jesus have to believe he is who he said he is and that he rewards those who seek him. It means that he keeps his promises. He's going to do what he told you he's going to do, which is why his conclusion is just so good. And I think it's convicting to people like you and me who are living today. After all this list of all of these people that were living by faith in a promise of what God was going to do for their people, what does the writer say? He reminds them. He goes, oh, and by the way, guys, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. I think it comes with like a bit of an admonishment. Guys, all those people that live that way, they never saw the fulfillment of the promise. But to these people that are 30 or 40 years post-resurrection of Jesus, he goes to them, and yeah, I think he'd say this, but you saw it. You saw the miracles. You saw the resurrection. You've seen how it changed the disciples from fearful guys locked behind doors to evangelists in the street. You saw what it did taking Paul from persecutor of the church to the greatest apostle. You saw the Holy Spirit fall at Pentecost. You saw dead people raised to life and blind people receive sight and the lame walk. Gosh, they didn't see any of it and they believed. Believe, trust in. Jesus actually put it in a similar fashion to his disciples one day. It's just so key that you and I understand this. You have to teach us to your children. Our faith is not just some hope. It's not some fairy tale. Here's what he said to the disciples. He says, listen, believe me, trust in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you can't, at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Our faith is based on evidence and it's focused on a historical object. It's not based on formulas or circumstances or outcomes. It's based on objective evidence and a historical event. And thus, it should do for us what it did for the ancients. It should make us live by faith. Certain in what it is that we hope for, an assurance of what we don't see. So I'm going to sum it up for you, right? How do you live by faith? How do you leave a legacy of faith? What is the baton you're trying to leave? Here, here's what I would say. If you were going to say, how do I leave this legacy of faith? Here's what you do. First, you do what he says to do, because that's what the ancients were commended for. Why do you do what God says to do? Because you trust that he is who he said he is and that he's going to do what he said he'd do. Those are the two components of faith. And why would you trust those things? Because of all that he's already done. 
If you want to leave a legacy of faith, look at what the ancients were commended for. They did what God told them to do despite circumstances or costs to leave a legacy of faith. This is important. Everybody listen to me. To leave a legacy of faith, you have to live this way. I don't know what that means exactly, but I, I can give you some hints. I mean, it's going to have to mean that you're going to have to you know, one of, the, one of the components would be you just love everybody, like everyone. I mean, y- y- you love Republicans and Democrats and gay people and straight people and black people and white people. Why would you do that? Well, because Jesus, the object of our faith, he lived that way, and that's what he told me to do, and I believe in his promises. So that's what I do, and my kids watch me do it. Where I drop the ball on this, I hand down a bad legacy. You see that? I mean, think about it, right? You forgive everybody over and over and over, no matter what they've done. Why? Well, because Jesus, the object of our faith, lived that way, and that's what he told me to do. I mean, what would leaving a legacy of faith mean for how you love your wife, or how you love your husband, or how you live and treat your marriage? What, What would leaving a legacy of faith mean about your finances, how you spend your free time? These are all things your children see, right? What does leaving a legacy of faith mean for your sex life, your private life, your online life? When you live radically obedient lives, right, you do silly things sometimes, risky things, things that people go, what is that guy doing? Why would he do that? That's what you do. And you take your kids on the journey. You show them how you love and forgive and serve others and, 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 and spend your money. You give to God your absolute best and first. This is how Abel is still speaking, though he's dead. And you let your kids watch you do that. You don't keep it a secret. Your family, I'm going to close with this. Your family needs faith stories. They need your faith stories. They don't need your house. They don't need your jewelry. They don't need your bank accounts. They need your faith stories. There's this this kind of warning in the Old Testament book of Judges. We just talked about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how the, how the, the fathers had all seen those that had gone before and, and their faith stories, how it impacted their lives. But over time, something happened to this family legacy. The writer says that after Joshua had died, a whole generation, had, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another one grew up who knew neither the Lord or what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for for Israel. Your kids and your grandkids, they need to know what God did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And do you know who else they need to know what God did for? You. They need your stories. And you get them by radically serving, following God, doing what he said to do with your lives, trusting him. The psalmist declared, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Do you have these stories? I mean, mine come from, the stories actually aren't from like the things I did. They come out of the things I did. I could give you millions of them. One of my favorite is we, we, a bunch of years ago, for a few years, my family would, on Christmas Eve, we would go and just, um, do dinners for homeless folks in Morristown. 
and it was crazy. We, we used to get hundreds of, of homeless families that would come out on Christmas Eve. And so much so, they well exceeded all the food we had. And uh, we were back there one night, we were running out of food, and the line was still out the door and down the street. And I swear, this is a true story. The doors swing open, and here come these restaurants in Morristown. They go, hey, we heard what you were doing here. We're closed up for the night, and we're bringing all of our food over. How does that happen? I, in Guatemala one year, Eric Muchmore's here. I was thinking about him this morning. Uh, one year in Guatemala, we, we had all these kids. We were teaching them to play baseball. And we had promised them at the end of the, the week that they'd get their own stuff. And so Eric was handing out, I think it was baseballs. And he said, I had this bucket of baseballs and I'm going through the baseballs and I'm looking at how many kids in line. And he goes, I'm going to myself, there's no way that these baseballs, we're going to run out of baseballs long before the line's over. And so he said, you know, I, I got down on my knees. I started handing out the baseballs. He goes, when I got to the end of the bucket, I picked up the last ball. The last kid was in line. How's that happen? You do what he said he did. I mean, here it is one more time. You leave a legacy of faith. You do what he said to do because you trust who he is. You trust he is who he said he is and he'll do what he said he's gonna do. And why do you do it? Because of all he's already done. Let's stand and close this off.